0: seated. Let's join now together in taking our copy of God's Word, which we believe is the source, storehouse of all true and saving knowledge of the Triune God, as we turn together to our passage for this morning, and one hopefully we will think on during the week, Acts 3, verses 1 through 10. So Acts 3, 1 through 10. As we prayed, we've talked about, we had a blessed Bicentennial Lord's Day last week. And this week we come back to our study on the book of Acts. And Pentecost has happened. And Jesus has ascended. And that the Holy Spirit has descended upon His people on the church. There's 120 followers who were up in the upper room praying. The Holy Spirit's now descended. And to the followers of Jesus, their, His disciples now filled with the Spirit of the living God, go out. They go out so they can tell others about their Jesus. They go out to the crowds, gather for Pentecost, so they can tell them about their Jesus. And in the midst of this, we find Peter standing up and boldly declaring salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Pointing out their sins, maybe physically pointing at those who he says is by your hands. That Jesus Christ was killed. And that leads then into the church. As we see in Acts 242 through 47, the church is born, and they are born worshiping. They're born in fellowship, they're born in prayer. And so as we come to chapter three, we now are making this turn from the birth of the early church to the life of the early church we've looked at the privileges of being a part of Christ's church. This is a privilege. This What we do here is, is a privilege of being Jesus and being in his church. And so this morning, as we look at our passage, it continues to guide us in understanding the great privilege it is to know that Christ so loved us. He has called us to be a part of his bride, the church. And our response of love to him and devotion to to the worship and work in the church opens up more blessings and privileges of being his than we could ever imagine. We'll see that this morning in Acts 3. So let's pray together to come now before God and his word. Lord, may we understand as indeed what we are doing. We are coming before you, the holy God, the creator of all things, the one who will judge all people, We are coming before you now in your word. Word you have spoken to different men throughout the ages that has been recorded and preserved for us. Help us now understand that we are hearing your voice. And help us then to understand what your voice is telling us in this passage. Give me right understanding and explanation Give your people here a right hearing, so they may have a right understanding, so we may live rightly for you and for your glory. We pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and we will stand together now for the reading of God's word. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried and what had happened to him. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Oh, Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Deja vu can be an odd and disorienting experience. That phenomenon of feeling as though you've lived through this present situation before can... Can be odd, can be odd, uh, it can be even off-putting, it can be disorienting. Now I imagine many of us have had that sort of experience before. We, we, we've been somewhere, we felt like we have done this exact same thing before. Or we, we've had a conversation with somebody who said, I, I promise you, I've had this exact same conversation with this same person. We've been in the same place, we're doing the same thing. We, we, we've had deja vu. We find that sometimes we have that feeling with the Bible. Now there are times we we, we come to the Bible, and we find it is telling us the same story uh, in different places, but there's a different emphasis in each telling. And we think of maybe the creation accounts in Genesis one and two. It's telling us about the creation story, just different emphasis. But that's not déjà vu. There's times we read the New Testament and. As we read through it, we find that they're referencing a passage or a story or narrative from the Old Testament that we know we've read before, but that's that's not really deja vu either. But there are times we read a a passage like we have this morning, and we may think this is like a scriptural deja vu. Because I I really think this has happened before in the Bible, almost the same exact thing this morning's passage and story can be like deja vu all over again. Because it's a story of Peter and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples and friends, and they are healing a man who has been lame from birth. And if you're any sort of student in the Bible, you know that sounds eerily similar to other stories in the Bible, doesn't it? We can think of the Gospel according to Luke. And Jesus is in a home and, and, and it's packed. It's so packed out that nobody else can, can fit into it. And Jesus is, is teaching this packed house. And all of a sudden, as he's teaching, the ceiling begins to crumble in because friends, have, friends of this man have climbed up on the, on the roof and they begin to make a hole in the ceiling. Do you remember why they're doing this? Because their friend was paralyzed, he was lame in the middle of Jesus' teaching, this hole appears in the ceiling. They lower this man down. And do you remember what Jesus does? He heals the man. He first forgives him of his sin, but then he heals the man. Man can now get up and walk. Maybe we think of John chapter 5, and it's at the temple again. Now we're at the pool at the sheep gate, and now there's a man there who's been laying for 38 years. What does Jesus do? doesn't pass him by. doesn't push him into the pool to get a good laugh out of seeing a lame man struggling in the pool. He heals the lame man who's able now to get up and walk. So we come to our passage here in Acts. And it's like deja vu all over again as we read this. It's like the same, almost exact story from Luke and John, except now the one who's doing the healing, Peter and John, But they're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you understand the narrative here. This is the first miracle of the early church. The very first miracle of the early church is of a lame beggar being healed of his affliction. And of course we understand that that's no mistake. That's not just happenstance that the first miracle of the church was this. It's no mistake that the sovereign God led these spirit-filled men to heal a lame man just like Jesus did. Because as we remember and know, Jesus did heal the physical, but he didn't just do it for the physical's sake. He healed the lame and the blind, the sick, the deaf and the dumb to show that he is the true Messiah. Messiah. The one who will come heal his people. But as a true Messiah, he brings a greater healing than just physical healing. He brings the greater healing of the soul and of our relationship with God. Not just, that they, not, not, just not now that they can get up and walk and, and move around. But he's pointing to that greater healing of the soul. Only the Messiah can cause the, the, the blind to see and the lame to walk and forgive them of their sins. It's deja vu all over again in this passage. Because that's exactly what's offered to this lame man. Here is physical healing that will lead to spiritual healing. Now we're going to skip a little bit ahead in this passage and we'll look at a little bit more detail later on. But I want you to notice what it is that Peter says to the lame man. I have no silver and gold. But what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Do you understand what, what Peter is saying here? John's agreeing with him. They are offering him the very best that they have. And the very best they have isn't, isn't their robes. It isn't their sandals. It isn't money. It isn't food. The very best they have. Is Jesus Christ. The first miracle of the early church is this emphasis that better than any money or riches or material goods or, or status or, or reputation or anything is Jesus Christ. They don't just throw change at him and say, You dirty bum, go get a job. You dirty bum, go inside and worship God. And then I will give you money. No, the very first up front give them the very best they have, and that is Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd Jones, in his sermon on this passage, says, Here we see authentic Christianity. Because what we see here, and we will continue to see in the early church, is this zeal, this vitality, this joy, this Christ focused nature of those early Christians. They were fascinated by Jesus. These, these people were absolutely fascinated by who Jesus is and what he had done. And so they want to know more of Jesus. It's what they preached, it's what they taught, it's what they offered to others. This was the Christ path that the Spirit of Christ led them on. This zeal, this vitality, this joy, Christ-focused nature of those early Christians. And I believe this is given to us to be an encouragement to us. It's meant to be an encouragement to us as fellow Christians and disciples of Jesus. As a reminder, we have been given the best. Because we have been given Jesus. We, we are only Christians because God the Father has given us his very best in his son. That God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. We've been given the very best. We haven't been given the second best or the third. We've been given the very best of God. And that gift has been given to us. We're told over and over again in scripture, we can't earn Jesus. I'm always fascinated by the people who believe they can be good enough for Jesus. Because often those are people who just aren't very good. But we can't earn Jesus. We can't be good enough for Jesus. We can't demand Jesus. He's not a family heirloom that we pass out through generations. Like, When I die, now you get Jesus. It doesn't work like that. It's a gift, free gift of God. It's eternal life in Christ Jesus. God has given us his best in the person and work of the second person of the triumph of Godhead, Jesus Christ. I don't always like going to downtown Columbia or cities because I'm usually asked by somebody for money. And that's an uncomfortable situation. So we all learn what to do, you don't make eye contact. Tend you on your phone. Do something, right? Because the temptation is to walk away from them or, 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 or to give them money. But what did Peter and John do here? I'm going to give you something better than money. I'm going to give you Jesus Christ. So I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Authentic Christianity is when we receive and rest upon this gift of Jesus Christ. Because that gift leads to zeal. Leads to vitality. Leads to joy. And leads to a Christ-focused faith. And what an encouragement we find here with Peter and John here in the early church. Now let's go back and look at the very beginning. We're, we're at the temple. And Luke is very exact about this. They're, they're at the temple. He's even exact about what time. Says so They go to the temple the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And according to Jewish reckoning time, the ninth hour takes place nine hours after sunrise. So it's about three in the afternoon. So they're going to the temple. It's three in the afternoon. If you know anything about temple, you know, that's the time of the evening sacrifices. In the daily liturgy of the temple, every morning and every evening, there are sacrifices offered in temple. They were bringing an animal. The animal would be offered, it would be slain. Its blood then would be applied to the altar and then a priest would enter in to offer incense upon the altar. And that incense would fill the temple with a pleasing aroma that would represent the sweet smell of the prayer of God's people ascending to heaven. So Peter and John have gone to the temple at the time of sacrifice. Now think about this. What else do we know in the story of redemption that happened at three o'clock in the afternoon? It's when Jesus died. The Bible is very clear to tell tells it was at the ninth hour, 3 p.m., that Jesus breathed his last. Not sure. We're making a speculation. But that may be why Peter and John have chosen this time to come participate in the prayers. It wasn't just because it was a time of prayer, not just because it was a time of sacrifice. That's the exact time. When Jesus looked to heaven and said, it is finished. And he breathed his last. So we find Peter and John, and I believe the other followers were at the temple as well. Why is this important? Because I think it shows us that they saw themselves as being authentically Jewish. They had come to understand what the Old Testament had been all about from the very beginning. It had been all about Jesus. They were more authentically Jewish than the other Jews in the temple. Because I don't believe they were coming there to sacrifice because the great sacrifice had already been offered. The lamb has been slain on the cross. They didn't need the sacrifice anymore. They were more Jewish. The no's there coming for sacrifice because they had the key to the Old Testament, Jesus Christ. They still go to the temple. They still go there to pray. But they do it all with a new perspective, Jesus. Isn't it amazing to think how much Jesus has changed everything for them? He has called them from being fishermen and other occupations to being his followers. And he has changed even the ritual of their life where they go to the temple, but they go to, to worship the great sacrifice. Jesus has changed everything for them. Just like he does with anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in who he is and what he has done for his people. Jesus changes everything like we see getting ready to happen with this lame man. He's been lame since birth daily taken to the temple so he can ask for money on this day the man is taken to the temple He expected nothing else than he does on other days he just wants some spare change so he can get some food brother can you spare a dime he's lame so he can't work he can't earn money all he can do is go sit at the temple and trust and lean upon the kindness of those coming to the temple and and enough change will be given to him I mean, you can buy some bread, get some water, maybe some fruit, maybe even a, a soup or a 10-piece chicken nugget meal from Chick-fil-A. But on this day, Luke tells us something different happens. Because on this day, in walks two of Jesus' disciples, filled with the Spirit of God. And they see this man. Amidst all the hustle and bustle of the temple, they see this one man who's asking alms of all those who are coming in the temple during their time of prayer and sacrifice. And Luke tells us something strange. He says Peter and John direct their gaze on this man. They're, They're trying to make eye contact. As much as I'm trying to avoid eye contact with the people begging for money, they're trying to make eye contact with this man. There's intention here. They have intentionally fixed their eyes on this one man. And they even go so far as to say, you need to look at us. Because he's looking anywhere but at them. And Luke tells us, this man looks at him thinking, well, they're looking at me, they're asking me to look at them. They must be giving me something. And so Peter, in his typical blunt fashion, just goes in and breaks his eyes and says, look, I have no money for you. Don't get your hopes up. I don't have any money for you. But I got something better. In the name of Jesus, Nazareth, rise up and walk. I want you to pause for a moment. And I want you to take some notice of of some things. There was no dramatics. There's no hooping or hollering or stomping feet or running around. There's no hocus-pocus smoke show, right? There's no theatrics. There's no drama. There's nothing like that. It's a very simple scene. There's three men there's a crowd all around, but we're focusing on three men. One is lame, two are filled with the Spirit. And they're looking at each other. And one that's filled with the Spirit says to the other man, the lame man, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And what happens? Luke says that immediately this man was healed. They held him to his feet, but immediately He's healed. There's no great thunderclap from heaven. There's no trumpet sounding. There's no angels descending. There's no smoke enveloping the room. You understand what just happened? The name of Jesus was proclaimed, and this man was healed. Peter and John didn't even lay hands on the man. Simply through the power of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus, this man was healed. This is a reminder that maybe we we need this reminder. There is power in the name of Jesus. There there is immense power in the name of Jesus. It can make a man who has been lame for 40 years to stand up and not only walk, but leap and run around. There is power in the name of Jesus. Now, before any of us are tempted to to run out and, and try to duplicate this scenario... There's some things we need to keep in mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. The ability of performing miracles was for the office of apostle. That, the God used, that God used these men and their callings of twelve apostles to proclaim the glory and greatness of God in Christ, partly through these miracles. So we believe that ability was just for that office of the apostles. Now, the Lord can and still does work miracles. There are plenty of legitimate testimonies to that. However, as we read through, especially the book of Acts, we find that miracles are not as prevalent now as it was in the early church. And the reason why is because we have something better than miracles. We have the Holy Spirit and the complete canon of the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God indwelling us And we have all 66 books of the Bible. That just as the Holy Spirit descended on the church, he now descends on his people to help us understand the glory and greatness of God in Christ in his word. It's very interesting to me that that Peter makes a point in saying his letter that you and I have a more sure thing than the apostles did. And that more sure thing is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through God's Word. So the power of Jesus' name for us is the power of salvation in the name of Jesus and the power of life in the name of Jesus. The power isn't in miracles, but it is in the fact that we have been miraculously reborn by Jesus Christ. Now we can now, as former enemies of God, haters of God, we can now live for His glory. There is power in that name. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know how many of you woke up early yesterday morning to watch the coronation of the new King of England, King Charles. A very regal display. Very ornate. Very religious. And there were times where the people would take the need to bow to that king. Because there is power in that name of the King of England. And what we're told here is there is a greater power than that. It's in the name of Jesus. So that one day, in the name of Jesus, every knee on earth, not just those in Westminster Abbey yesterday, every knee on earth, in heaven and under the earth, will bow and confess. That Jesus is Lord. What will make every person ever created bow? The power of Jesus' name. There is going to come a day when that name will be spoken, and the only thing we can do is take a knee. Because it's by that name that we are saved, it's by that name that we live, it is that name that is inscribed on us. There is power in the name of Jesus. And that's why his name should be so worthy to us that we would never ever slander it or use it in a crude manner. Just think, when we get upset and we would dare say, Jesus Christ. The very name that rises us up, raises us up from the dead, becomes our curse word. It's the sweetest name we will ever hear. Because by that name, that man was healed. By that name, we have been saved. And by that name, we have been eternally sealed and adopted into the family of God. There is power in the name of Jesus. And in that power, that man who, according to Acts 4.22, had been laid for 40 years, is now able to stand up and begin leaping and walking. But more so... He begins to praise God. Notice again the connection here. The physical healing leads to a spiritual healing. Because what wasn't the man doing before? He wasn't praising God. He was at the temple. It was time for prayers. Sacrifices were being made. But he wasn't praising God. He just wanted some money. Now. Now. Through the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus' name, this man is now walking, he's sleeping, he's singing, he's testifying to the goodness of God. He's asking Peter and John more about this, this Jesus. Immediately, he stands up and he praises God. And it causes a scene. Of course it should. That doesn't normally happen. People recognize this man. They recognize he's the one, the lame man there every day asking for money. Maybe some of them have given him money. Now he's walking, he's leaping, he's singing, he's shouting. And the name of Jesus is spreading. At Pentecost, his name was being preached in the courtyard. Now his name has made it to the gate of the temple. And you know why? Because of, of the authentic Christianity and those two followers of Jesus. Peter and John have been with Jesus for three years. We've already said they were they were fascinated by Jesus. They were fascinated by who he is and what and what he had done. And they, they wanted to know more. They wanted to, they wanted to preach about him, they want to hear preaching about him, they want to hear teaching and teach others. They they offered this to, to, to others. This is what they shared with this man. And because of their authentic Christianity, because they leave they love Jesus first and most, and because they obeyed Jesus. God worked through them, through their zeal, through their vitality, through their joy, through their Christ-focused faith. faith, He worked through them so this lame man could now walk. No theatrics, no drama, just authentic Christianity. So that by the power of Jesus' name, through the Holy Spirit, these two men, he was healed. Amazing to think what God will do with authentic Christianity. Amazing to think what God will will do with the zeal and the vitality and the joy of a Christ-focused faith. I prayed this morning, I've said along the way this week, I think this past week has been one of the most blessed weeks our church has had in a while. Last Sunday with our bicentennial worship service in the sanctuary and chapel was packed to our National Day of Prayer service where our our chapel was packed. It has been blessed and wonderful. And I believe what we have witnessed in those occasions is authentic Christianity. I had had the privilege of talking to people last week who have been gone from here 20, 30, 40 years. And and Charleston, other places. When when they received their invitation to, to come, they wanted to come back to the church. This place meant so much to them that they're willing to give up a day of traveling and being here to be a part of that. On a Thursday evening, we're able to pack out the chapel of people who wanted to gather together in prayer for each other and for our nation. That's zeal, isn't it? That's vitality. That's joy. That's a Christ-focused faith. That's authentic Christianity And what an encouragement. What an encouragement the Lord has blessed us with twice in one week. And I hope we've been encouraged by that. Because I think we find it's easy for us to be like this lame man. I want you to be honest. When you came to church this morning, what were you expecting to happen? My guess is you were expecting the usual show up. We're feeling frisky. We're going to get up early and go to Sunday school. we going to show up. We're going to sing songs. We're going to sing hymns. There's going to be prayers. There's going to be a sermon. And then what's next? Maybe lunch? we got to drop in later on? What were you expecting this morning? My guess is you weren't expecting anything extraordinary. We're like the lame man who shows up and we're not expecting anything extraordinary. But when authentic Christianity came around, he was moved to a physical and spiritual healing. We can learn something from the power of authentic Christianity. Peter and John weren't superheroes. Remember, had it been out too long before that Peter had denied Jesus vigorously. You know all they did? They just loved Jesus. They loved Jesus first. They loved Jesus most. And they followed him in his word. And the Holy Spirit worked through that. And as they loved Jesus, and as they were in his word, They grew in that authentic Christianity of zeal and vitality of joy of that Christ-focused faith. There was nothing spectacular about them. They just loved Jesus and his word. Think about what Jesus can and will do with us when we do the same. When we choose to love Jesus first and most. When we choose to be students of his word to follow him through his word as we grow in that authentic Christianity of zeal of vitality, of joy, of a Christ focused faith, think of what the Lord can and will do maybe salvation that we will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we will support more and more missionaries. Maybe even raise up some missionaries from our congregation, our pastors. Think about what God did to these two men at 3 p.m. in the afternoon of the temple. And think about what he can do here at Bethel when we commit ourselves to authentic Christianity of living, loving Jesus first and most being in his word so we grow in zeal vitality joy and Christ focused faith just think what he can do and maybe you will be deja vu all over again As we see the power of Christ in this book, we see it in our church as well. Let's pray together.